feature presentation. Welcome back to another Untitled TIFF review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Saddle up, Matt. We got a busy day ahead of us recording what seems like, what, yeah. five reviews? Yeah, yeah. It's day six, day five of the festival. What the hell day is it? Five, I don't six? know anymore, man. Um, yeah, um, I had a six movie day yesterday. You have a weird sleeping schedule, so you could say it's a five movie day for you, but then you also watched like four yesterday, but then you only slept for a couple hours. So I don't know what the hell you could say you had a seven, 11 movie day. So I'm probably going to sound uh, a little more loopy than normal, but nah. at the same time, you know, you want to take advantage of, you know, watching as much as you can, whether it be at home or in person. So, you know, if you do have a weird sleep schedule, you know, that's that's fine. It's just, you know, adjusting once the festival is over. You yeah, know, that's the thing that, that matters the most. Um, but but also, I think we've been pretty good in terms of, you know, like this is, you know, inside baseball but like you know diet and things like that compared to previous tiffs <laughs> mm-hmm. where like usually you know when it was in person the concession stands would be uh open in the before times and a lot of you know, cherry be- coke and m&ms and yeah and yeah. maltesers and sour patch kids i've eaten a lot like of that. egg mcmuffins this tiff though <laughs> So, yeah, because again, more inside baseball today, we are reviewing Jane Campion's uh, The Power of the Dog, but I know which what will you're be here premiering for. on Netflix ah, later this year. Ironically, I was drinking out of my show me mug. Uh, R.I.P. Um, yeah, it'll um, we'll talk about that in a sec. But what you really I know if you're clicking on this review you definitely want to hear about what we've been eating. Especially. Well, especially the Egg McMuffins, which is the unofficial sponsor of, the of Matt and Eric's yeah. uh, Untitled Movie Podcast yeah, because, uh, experience. Uh, we've had to take the train in uh, every day because neither of us live downtown right now. And um, there's a Mick Cafe, uh, a McDonald's cafe right, right before we get on the train. So we've been so busy that we're running back from this train that like every time we're in union station, I'm like, I'm going to get an egg McMuffin and some little hash brown bites. So like, that's been my like mid afternoon lunch every day for the last like week, but, um, very healthy. Um, but forget about They're that. They're so greasy, man. Like I, the sausage I love ones are muffins. The bacon. Well, even the egg as... though, the egg nah, is weirdly nah, greasy. slimy yeah. a little bit, but I, I don't know if it's grease. There's probably butter, but um i love egg we'll be talking about butter more with julia coming up later (laughs) but today we are reviewing jane campion's the power of the dog which eric mentioned will be in theaters in limited release on november 17th and then will be on netflix on december the first it stars benedict cumberbatch kirsten dunce jesse plemons cody smith mcphee uh thomason mckenzie pops up had no idea she was in this and she's in about 15 20 minutes of it uh star of last night in soho yeah uh, which we reviewed, which you guys can check out. It was just weird. Yep. We'll get to that, but her being in such such a small part in this ro- uh, in this movie, but had a, such a large role in that. Uh, also, the second movie scored by uh, Johnny Greenwood uh, this festival as well. Yes, and and we're gonna I'm gonna talk about this now, even before we get into the movie. I was talking to you about it before we started recording. My lips properly. I my monitor really low. Like, do I, look uh, fine? I mean, you you yeah. look okay. Yeah, okay, I mean, thanks. you don't look Anyways, bad. Keep or going. Anything. Keep going. <laughs> um, so we have two Benedict Cumberbatch movies that we'll be reviewing um, today, and and obviously, you know, it's raining cats and dogs for him. It, this it festival, literally right? is because uh, the Electric Life of Louis Wayne, which you can check uh, out a review of as well. 
yes, is a biopic about said painter, Louis Wayne, who's best known for painting uh, caricatures, uh, cartoons of cats and sort of making them, um, you know, domestic or, or bringing them into popularizing, the, the, them popularizing, like, yes, yeah. the into the the you know, household, the British household, but even internationally speaking. Um, but what's fascinating is that you have uh, a cat that they, ad- uh, that uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and Claire Foy uh, adopt early on um, named Peter, or they name him Peter, Peter the cat. And uh, Cody Smith McPhee's character in Power of the Dog is named Peter. And very different relationships with Benedict yes. in those movies, but <laughs> just only you and only the like handful of people that are at TIFF that saw both of those movies. But hey, when they come out, one on Amazon Prime, one on Netflix, you can kind of compare. Pick um, your poison, basically. You yeah, know, cats are you a or cat dogs. person or a dog person. Not very many dogs in this movie, but we'll. We'll, well there is the that. one. There is there the is one that Peter goes to pet, and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch whistles oh. it away. Um, yeah, so as you as you mentioned, uh, Power of the Dog is uh, Jane Campion's uh, first film in twelve years. Uh, the last movie that she made was Bright Star with Abby Cornish and Ben Whishaw. Um, this is based on um, Thomas Savage's uh, novel of the same name, and it takes place in Montana in 1925, although it's actually shot uh, in New Zealand. That also might explain a little bit why like someone like Thomas and Mackenzie is in the movie, because she is from New Zealand. Um, Taika Waititi sto- in... Right. Life of Louis but weirdly, he's also playing an American in that yeah. movie. Um, yeah. So Power of the Dog takes place in Montana in 1925. And it's from the point of view of a charismatic, but also cruel uh, cattle rancher played by Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, Phil uh, Burbank, who is one of these, you know, kind of rootin' tootin' old-fashioned cowboy types that likes to hang out with the boys and, you know, make fun of anybody else that's not considered masculine, um, as we see as he picks on uh, Cody Smith-McPhee's um, sort of doctor in training and his mother, uh, a, a recent widow played by uh, Kirsten Dunst, and he also even picks on his own brother, uh George played by Jesse Plemons and calling him Fatso. And what's fascinating early on about this relationship that uh, Plemons and Cumberbatch's brother characters have is that they've lived in this sort of ranch farm for all their lives. They've basically inherited it from their parents who have now gone to live uh, in Salt Lake City. And they refer to them only as the old man and the old woman, Uh, not mom and dad, not mother, not father. Um, And they also share uh, the same bedroom together, which is also very, you know, strange. And we'll kind of get into that as we discuss it further. Um, but you're starting to notice that this isn't your typical Western, just from those little hints um, of what you would expect from, you know, the classic tropes that we've seen, you know, from John Ford Westerns, even into more recent stuff that, you know, people like Quentin Tarantino is kind of homaged with, you know, 
bringing back or resuscitating the spaghetti Western, you know, in movies like the hateful eight or Django unchained. Um, and I think that's the charm of a movie like this because it's hard to kind of pinpoint what it ultimately is Mm -hmm. and it's better left to discover, but essentially the conflict occurs when Plemons's character weds uh, Dunce's character and sort of brings her uh, and her son played by Cody Smith McPhee to the ranch to live. And you find that uh, Cumberbatch, who is a caustic character to begin with, begins to torment uh, Dunce to the point of um, driving her insane. And Mm -hmm. we see this really fascinating dynamic uh, between her and Cumberbatch, but also as the story progresses, we learn more about Cumberbatch. That's really fascinating again, in a character study kind of way that this just isn't, you know, a classic, you know, Western in the, in the, in the vein of something that, you know, Ford or Clint Eastwood would have made. Um, And on top of all that, it's just very unsettling. Um, There's a lot of strange, sensual sequences. Uh, A lot of talk about uh, Bronco Henry. (laughs) I wrote that uh, name Specifically, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I said the same thing, that I never thought I'd use uh, unsettling and sensual in the same sentence, but that's kind of the two kind of keywords I took out of this, where um, I'm a little bit, this is a movie that I one wish I saw in a theater uh, with undivided attention on a big screen because one, it's gorgeous. I thought the cinematography is great. The vistas and the mountains and the yeah, Ari Wagner is and- is the cinematography cinematographer, and she shot. Um- Zola uh, earlier oh, cool. this year and Lady Macbeth. She's right. a really, really talented yeah. uh, cinematographer. Uh, it looks great. Uh, Johnny Greenwood just uh, with two bangers uh, this year at the festival. I still do think I like they're very different, but I do think I like his Spencer score a little bit more than this one. But this one still absolutely rules. Um, you get a little bit more Radiohead sounding stuff in this, but then still mix kind of classic Western um, sounds and, and things like that. But, and it's sparse, too. Yeah. Like the the Spencer score is more. Is- yeah is more in your um, face uh, present like, yeah, present throughout yeah. the entire film where the score and the power of the dog is <clears throat> something that is kind of you know interwoven in certain scenes but campion also allows room for you know the the wind to blow yeah. and and sort of you know the the environment to add a, a, a layer of sound to uh the actual score which mm-hmm. i think was really you know perfect because the way that even though again it's shot in new zealand but montana and the places that they shot in new zealand you know it it lends itself perfectly to that kind of big sky where it kind of just feels like you know this vast empty space Mm -hmm. but i mean we talked a lot about greenwood on our spencer review and i just uh, echo that in here where he's becoming you know, one of the, it's so fascinating and we're repeating ourselves, but seeing these rock stars or like from these kind of uh, uh, bands that you would never think they would then go do this style of music. And I think you do hear a little bit more of the radio head style keyboard in this at times too. It's not sort of synthy, but you know, the sound that I'm talking about from the, like um, in some radio head songs, but um, I noticed that throughout too. And it just added to the unsettling nature of it. And then, yeah, the cin- cinematography, both beautiful. And then there are moments with Cumberbatch that uh, you, the perfect word is sensual, where 
whether he's rubbing a saddle or making a, a rope and stuff like that. It's just the way that it's shot and the way his hands move is just like very erotic and, and, and sensual. And then that's kind of what I, I found most interesting about the movie. Like it, to- it tackles toxic masculinity, sexuality, especially in a time period um, where if you were in a um, a career like this or a cowboy like that, you would never kind of maybe talk about these things. So I thought that was interesting. My biggest problem, which I will let you go into after I kind of say why I didn't like it, sure. because I feel like you have a very good perspective on why he does work. Uh, but Cumberbatch for me in this, my biggest problem, and I think you have to get past it right away or you just won't be on board uh, for the rest of it is just, I thought he was a little miscast where um, I just from right away, uh, I just was like, man, I could see five different people that maybe I, I wouldn't be distracted by in this role. And as this macho kind of cowboy, or at least pretending to be this macho kind of cowboy. And you'll get into that in a second. Um, I think you really kind of have to buy into him or as it goes on, kind of understand what Campion's doing maybe with his casting, which I didn't get to that point. And then it just became kind of distracting to me where um, every time I saw him, I couldn't, I just couldn't get invested into the movie because I kept seeing Benedict Cumberbatch doing this accent and just, I got lost in it in the sense of I was fixated and lost just on him rather than experiencing the movie as a whole. And um, I mentioned before, like I, I think I did the movie a disservice by, and this is a thing with Tiff and these reviews are always going to be interesting because we're going to bring our personal experience of the festival into it a little bit where I think when you see a movie and where you see a movie kind of does affect during Tiff. If it's your fourth movie of the day or if you watch it right after something else or if you are watching it at home versus in a theater which is a a, a thing that we have to kind of deal with the last two years where i watched this at 10 30 at night after an exhausting day and a short nap i just watched petite maman and um you know it's it's a slow burn and i felt like me being distracted by Cumberbatch, even though I thought Kirsten Dunst was great, uh, Jesse Plemons is great as always, uh, Cody Smith McPhee, who I've always liked when he pops up and stuff for the most part, um, I think is is adds to that unsettling nature of the entire movie. Um, so I'm kind of like, after I talked to you about it when we were at the train station the other day and sat on it, I think like Memoria, um, I've enjoyed it more the more I thought about it and the more I sat on it. Like, um where at first I think I was a little mixed, but now I'm a little bit more mixed positive. And it's a movie that I do want to revisit uh, maybe when it comes out in cinemas in, in November. Like I would have liked to see this at Lightbox or Princess of Wales or something like that. So uh, I'm a little mixed positive, but the Cumberbatch thing, I just couldn't get past. But you have an interesting perspective on that. Like, yeah, and, and I don't and you like the movie to, a lot. I, I really like the movie quite a bit. And again, I think a big part of it, I, I, I kind of mentioned it, is it's really hard to pinpoint what this movie is yeah especially going in you think okay like um i'm not too familiar with with thomas savage's work but i know his writing is influential on people like cormac mccarthy um and and power of the dog specifically is like you know how there are like comedians comedians there this he's like an author's author specifically when it comes to like classic westerns but also his stuff deconstructs the genre as a whole and looks at it from the point of view of like, okay, whether it's a character or whether it's a setting or romancing the lifestyle, it kind of 
examines that with a microscope and sort of says, okay, well, why, why, you know, does this part of the world, why does this part of the U.S., you know, act and behave the way that they do yeah. and, and sort of kind of dissects that in a really interesting way. And I feel that with, you know, every moment in this movie and that it's not necessarily um, paced in your classic kind of Western way. Like it is a slow burn to some extent, but it's also disjointed, but I think it's disjointed on purpose where the way that the movie unfolds, you think it's going in one direction, but then it goes somewhere else. And when it zigs, it zags and vice versa. And I think that's very much like Cumberbatch's performance. Phil is a guy who, you know, is very much a, a towering figure in this world that he's created for himself and that he's lived his entire life through. And that, you know, he, he loves the way that things go and he doesn't want things to change. And he, as we mentioned, can be just vicious yeah, to very nasty man, yeah. the people around him and not just, you know, <clears throat> his work you know his 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 ranch hands or you know people that he he comes across but even his brother and like you look at jesse plemons who gives a very subtle performance in this will and will probably be easily overlooked when it comes to awards oh, time but um he's just the best yeah and he's just one of those guys that like you know is, is he could be in jungle just, cruise a couple months ago and then right, this, right and you buy him in both of those one ridiculous and one very subtle in in similar ways it's a thankless role yeah. because it is it is it's it's more of a giving performance than anything else it, it, it allows the other actors to kind of really uh bounce off of him and react to him and he just kind of like you know is there to kind of help them out um but it is a very good performance. But going back to Cumberbatch, what's fascinating about that performance is I don't disagree with you. I think when Cumberbatch is cast as an American, it's usually quite distracting um, because he's not really that great with the American accent, uh, whether it's Southern or, you know, um, depending on the dialect or the region, like he's never been able to kind of quite hone in on that and there are some there are some british actors that can't do that and usually when we think of uh european actors are, are much better at doing that than you know american actors doing british yeah, accents yeah, but yeah. but kira knightley benedict cumberbatch and and michael fassbender who i know is irish german like those actors as good as they are in movies they're just they there's just something that they can't sort of convey with the american accent and you can kind of hear you know, the, the, the Britishness, the affectation in their yeah. voice come out. Yeah. But in this specific role, I think it is deliberate. And I think Campion, Campion knows what she's doing here. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is this facade that is created uh, around Phil and sort of the myth of the cowboy and sort of how he's always talking about Bronco Henry and sort of always creating this, like, this is who I'm living up to. But then also there's this weird sort of subtext there where the more you learn about him, you start to question certain things or wonder certain things about, you know, his life with not only this guy taking him under his wing, mm -hmm. who we never see in the film, but he's always talking about and kind of feels like a, a ghost that kind of looms over yeah. Cumberbatch's character, but then even his parents, you know, the way that he talks about them as though they're not, you know, he's not affectionate in any way. He's a very, Cumberbatch's character is a very smart man, a very calculated person. Um, but he's also just, 
you know, he can lash out at you and anybody and he doesn't care who it is. And he has a certain sort of way of living that if you kind of mess with that or, or you try to, you know, change things, he is going to um, get back at you. And I think some of the best moments are when he is really um, gaslighting essentially um, Kirsten Dunst's character Rose, you know, who just lost her husband as the movie begins um, and, you know, has her own kind of uh, little restaurant and, you know, begins this relationship with Clemens's George and, you see her trying to be cordial and make it work, but Cumberbatch is just thinking that, you know, she's in it for the money and and this kind of thing. And I like that weird unsettling dynamic. And Cumberbatch actually said that like he spent absolutely no time, you know, uh, even in rehearsals really working with, with Dunst. Cause and he you wanted can kind of, that. Yeah. Yeah. You can feel that unease between the two. Um, even the way that like when the perspective does shift at times on Dunst's character and sort of her relationship with Smith McPhee and, and, and Plemons that we see, you know, Phil in the background circling like a shark. But I think that there is a deliberate reason to Cumberbatch being cast in a role where he doesn't quite, quite fit. fit the yeah, mold yeah. of what you'd expect a, that kind of casting to be like you could you could cast somebody that is more grizzled or classically uh salt of the earth type kind of cowboy um someone like even like a a Josh Brolin or something like that maybe I a little bit that, younger yeah. but y- you know that type yeah um, that's exactly what i was thinking if this was made in like the 80s or early 90s it would be like someone like Tommy Lee <clears throat> Jones although i i think th- the subject matter might turn turn someone off like someone turn Tommy Lee Jones off because he's more of a conservative actor. Sure. Um, but, but those are the types of actors that you would expect. And I think that that's what the movie does so well here is that you expect the unexpected. Yeah. And even in the casting of that, like even in his body language, um, yeah, there's just something about, like, that's so that off the way that, yeah, that kind of cowboy kind of does this moving like, with his hips, like, right? Yeah, holds his belt and he has these big, like, you know, the kind of, I forget what they're called. It's like but. a child sort of chaps he has those chaps on yeah and he yeah walks it, around it, he he is very childlike in that way and like he's he's emotionally inept in certain aspects and you get the feeling that like he's still playing cowboy like he's not like he's he's playing cowboy the way that he would as though we were a child yeah or maybe he never really grew up and, and i think and, that's an interesting perspective on the casting yeah. and you kind of turned me a little bit on that like where while watching it i never bought into that but after talking to you i thought that was an interesting kind of uh perspective on him of how you could get past that and i feel like on a rewatch i would like it even more with that kind of perspective going in and that's kind of what ultimately why you know i still i think after thinking about it really enjoyed the movie i just um uh, and a hell of an ending as well. <laughs> and it makes you want to go yeah. back and rewatch it, knowing what happens and yeah. sort of focusing on specific characters or key moments even more. And, and, and I feel that that's another thing that I really love about this film is that there's, it's so rich in its design and sort of world that it's fleshed out. And again, it's not your typical Americana you know, point of view. And and that's what I love about, you know, international filmmakers making American movies yeah. that you get a lens that is very unique and different from what you expect, that, yeah. you know, uh, uh, like if an American filmmaker did this, like if the Coen brothers did this, yeah. like it would still probably be a great movie, but it would be a very different film in terms of like how it 
looks at the world that is, you know, the U S and specifically the South Mm -hmm. and with someone like, you know, Jane Campion, it's the same thing with like Vim vendors directing Paris, Texas, you know, like you, it's just fascinating to see, you know, the desert landscape shot in a way, but also again, it's still unsettling and weird because the facade of it being, you know, Montana, but it's actually New Zealand also adds, adds that to it. Yeah. weird meta layer yeah. of like everything being mm-hmm. kind of this fake Western, but at the same time, there's something underneath it. That's just so you want to get to the, to the end of the mystery, but you're, you can't anticipate what's going to happen. And then when you do, you're just kind of, taken aback and you're thinking okay i should have been watching this i know i had to rewind i I rewound the ending a couple times because it and it's not again we talked about it like it's subtle it's not really like you still have to be paying attention and you still have to kind of understand what she's saying it doesn't spoon feed you any of it at all and even the ending i was there and i'm like wait what (laughs) i'm like rewound i was like oh shit i'm like that's cool and even um, the way it's divided into chapters right you know me i'm a huge fan of chapters eric and then like at first i'm like does this need to be chapters but then i'm like i i love it but yeah i do like what you said where it was a little felt a little disjointed but ultimately kind of works when it's all together it reminded me also a little bit of um the sisters brothers where yeah. again you take a west like that is an, a really really underrated movie the jacques odiard again another uh, is, movie that i need to go back and watch because i just i during tiff sometimes i'm just fried right right and and um but you look at that and like how again you know this like, joaquin phoenix yeah. and, and and john c Riley and sort of their dynamic as as brothers and sort of how you know there's this weird underlying current of like, you know, the way that they were raised and the way that they grew up really has basically stagnated them to a point where, you know, they're they're still children in, mm-hmm. in a weird way. And you get that even again with, you know, Plemons and Cumberbatch's characters sharing a bedroom as grown men, you know, mm-hmm. and and there's just this there is a weird incestual quality there, but it's, yeah, it's there's a couple really... moments in the movie where we were discussing off air too, where I'm just like, was that implied that it's incestuous or is it just that he really loves his brother and he doesn't want that to be ruined or, or this woman coming in and, and it throws know, off routine as yeah, well. Exactly, right. Like, yeah. like, like Cumberbatch is very fastidious in his ways where, you know, like he does certain things at a certain time. Like there's this whole sort of, uh, conversation that Plemons and Cumberbatch have about bathing that Cumberbatch doesn't bathe or bathes like once a month. And, and, you know, they're inviting Keith Carradine's governor over to, to see the place and to, to meet uh, Kirsten Dunst, who that scene oh, yeah. is incredible. And she's that great. We haven't spent enough time on it, but she is fantastic yeah. throughout the whole movie, but she's always good. Like I've always yeah. found that Kirsten Dunst is, I mean, obviously her work with Sophia Coppola is, is, is amazing, but she always kind of, never gets the credit that she deserves and like even something you know like you you look even at like the spider-man movies yeah like she wasn't necessarily the the standout performance there but um the evolution of mary jane and and the sam raimi spider-man movies you know i I think she doesn't get enough credit especially for that (laughs) second film Mm -hmm. um but yeah like she she's going like she's almost in her own movie at times and i don't mean that as a bad thing i mean like you see this character almost in like a horror movie like mm-hmm. the way that like her like, face the, and everything just how she acts with her eyes and yeah know. like the, it could almost be an ari aster film within the power of the dog where like it's so anxiety driven and unsettling where you know you see this 
this poor human being being driven to drinking and depression and not feeling good enough. Because and, this and, guy and, is just such a fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah. But even that party scene where, you know, she's holding, you know, that tray of, of, of drinks and kind of feels almost like she's just there as a, a trophy wife and no one's talking to her. And the awkwardness of that moment is so powerful and subtle and, uncomfortable yeah. and and that doesn't even have Cumberbatch in the scene you know no I agree I think the the best thing going is that it mixes these beautiful moments and sensual moments with this kind of unsettling weirdness throughout it and um, yeah ultimately I liked it I think I'll like it even more on a rewatch so uh, I'm gonna give it a uh, three and a half out of five um, but I am very much looking forward to watching it again so same. I'm going to give it a four and a half out of five. I really did love the film quite a bit. And it, and it, again, like to your point, like Memoria, it's one of those movies where you keep thinking about certain scenes mm-hmm. and sort of how the ending is structured and wanting to go back. And, and again, the, all the performances are great. I think kind of the biggest surprise, even though it's not a surprise because you know, he's always good is Cody Smith McPhee. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when his, his first film was the road with Viggo Mortensen, speaking of Cormac McCarthy, you, you know, go. an adaptation uh, of the road. But he's great. Uh, Let me in as well. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and slow West with Michael Fassbender. Slow West. There you go. Another uh, kind of Western. Yeah. what we're talking about, but yeah. he does some interesting stuff here. And, and I think it's, it's a hard role to kind of discuss without getting too deep I agree. into it, but yeah. I think it is a great, supporting performance that I wouldn't be surprised it gets an Oscar nomination. And it's just, you think about again, the layers of how people are presented and what's underneath that. It's really, yeah, he's very good and very unsettling too. Um, thank you all for listening. You can check out all of our TIFF coverage right here on YouTube. Uh, people are loving our Dune review. <laughs> Um, I almost guys... feel like we should do like a conversations with maybe um, you know someone else who who really likes the it. film, yeah, like yeah. an esteemed critic, and just oh, absolutely. talk about I would that love to. in a in yeah. a professional way, right? With not yeah. people yelling at each other. Um, but you can check out all of our reviews right here on YouTube. Uh, you know, subscribe, hit that notification bell. You'll get all of our TIFF coverage. We're still doing this for another you know, six days or so, I, I think it'll slow down a little bit now that we're kind of almost halfway through, but, um, you can get all our reviews there. If you prefer the audio version, or if you're listening to the audio version, you already are in the right spot. It's on untitled movie reviews on podcast services everywhere. Um, if you want a one-stop shop for everything we do, just head over to our letterbox HQ. It's untitled underscore movies. You'll get links to all of our social channels. You'll get our star ratings, which also have the links to the YouTube and podcast versions. You'll get lists. We'll put up our best of the festival each uh eric and i's maybe i'll put those up now and we can update them there as we go on as well and maybe we'll do a combined best of the festival list so lists ratings all that kind of stuff our personal profiles all over untitled underscore movies on letterboxd uh thank you all for listening or watching my name is matt Rohrbeck. you can find more of my work around the internet but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com and you can follow me on all the social medias at matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Martin. You can find more of my video reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinemascene. And on the social uh, media side of things, uh, <laughs> I always have it planned uh, e, uh, at EM6211. Until next time. Here's to you, Bronco Henry. <laughs> Not enough dogs in the movie, actually. <laughs> There's a horse, though. Lots of horses. Bye, everybody. Saddle up.